You're listening to Bricks and Clicks, presented by MarketScale, with your host, Jennifer Kalo Ruskin. Welcome to Bricks and Clicks. I'm your host, Jennifer Ruskin, and I'd like to make a confession. I love to buy stuff off of social media. I'm happy to be served ads. I want you to serve me ads for things that are relevant to me. So just last week, I was on Facebook and I saw an ad for the perfect fall sweater. I clicked into it to purchase and realized that for just 20 bucks more, I could also get a fall scarf and a fall hat to finish off my ensemble. Done. Bought the sweater, scarf, and hat. Why? All because I'd been searching for fall hats online and was coming up with nothing. Thankfully for cookies, they found me. Then I'm served the perfect ad and I'm like, finally, somebody gets me. Thank you for showing up. $70 later, and they not only made a sale, but they made an up purchase. And I'm getting exactly what I was looking for and more. It's a win-win. Today, I'm talking to Zach, the founder and CEO of one of my favorite influencer companies, Apex Drop. Our topic today is all about lifestyle photography and how that it can help you increase sales and hook your ideal shopper. Zach, welcome to the podcast. I am such a huge fan and I'm so very glad that you're here. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Yeah, I'm very excited to be here and to talk about lifestyle photography a little bit and maybe some influencers. Yes, for sure. So I'm thinking that first we need to set a foundation here about influencer marketing because some of our listeners may just not be so familiar. So Number one, I guess, can you talk to me about why is influencer marketing important? Yeah, I mean, this day and age, people are looking to kind of get away from the fake. You know, there, there's kind of a, a shift in perception that news is fake, people are fake, everything's photoshopped, and uh, influencers are a trusted space where um, people are listening and they, they uh, trust their opinions and brands are having such a hard time breaking into that trust that they are now asking influencers to help them. And so there's a, a massive shift in the marketing space to these real authentic people talking about products and services in a way that's just more receptive or more easily receptive. Mm, for sure. Okay. So I have another question for you. So I was thinking that it was all about having a pretty feed and that perfect Instagram boyfriend on your arm. Do shoppers actually want organic content or do they want a perfect feed and they want perfect photography? Yeah. I mean, we've, as a, as an influencer agency that focuses on building up a lifestyle content, we've found that people do prefer the grainy or the real over the staged and, and really clean images. Not to say that having some nice model photography or a really pretty face doesn't help in some cases, but we find that the girl next door and the, uh, the look is more about reality now. People want to see those stretch marks. They want to see the grainy, the, the real. Um, so yeah, the, it, they both have a purpose, but I would say um, typically with ads, we like to see reality more than we like to see staged. Yeah, with ads and even with just with, I think, generic, basic, organic content too. I know on my own feeds, I'm noticing lately that the messier and honest I am in a post, the more interactions that people are having with it, especially if it's bringing up a strong emotion, like if I'm angry or if I'm just really sad or feeling a little bit heartbroken or feeling, I don't know, melancholy, whatever, like 
I feel like those do so much better than when I'm picture perfect with stage photography. It's like, it's those ones where I'm like, I'm running, I'm mid exercise and I snap a picture and I'm like, got my morning run in. My God, it was hard, but I did it anyway. That's the, those are the posts that people come back and respond to. And they're like, girl, got mine too today. Or like, dang it, I need to get off the couch. <laughs> and all of my perfectly staged, beautiful feed, like nobody wants to say anything, maybe because it doesn't feel too real, or maybe it's just pretty and they double, you know, double, double tap it or whatever. But I want, I want people to respond to my posts. You know what I mean? Yeah. The engagement is very important. And, um, what you just described is what we call first shot. So, uh, when someone has to take many, many pictures to get the right photo, it, you know, the people have really strong BS meters. They know when something is perfect, it's a little too perfect. And the first shot is typically, if you can do a first shot and get something great out of it, like a strong emotion, then um, they tend to work. And, you know, you can see this across all mediums now where um, we don't want to see the edited things anymore. We, we've got enough edited stuff in our life that's been Photoshopped and fixed. Um, you know, one proof of that is the recent uh, Joe Rogan. If you've heard of his podcast, it's very popular. He um, he's known for his long form interview interview. So like this interview that you and I are having, people kind of want to hear us just kind of be off the cuff and just chat and not necessarily hear the perfect clipped out sound bites that that have the perfect saying like they want to hear us kind of screw up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So long form is the new short form. You know, it used to be all about curating and making it tight. Now it's all about being loose and letting reality seep through. And it's definitely been a progress because like a progression. I remember when I first joined Instagram and I was probably a little late to the party. I'm in my mid to late thirties. So probably not the ideal person to be on, on Instagram, but I remember at the beginning it was all about having the picture perfect feed. And then maybe it's just been a year or two that people are like, I don't even want to see that anymore. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think it's maybe it's a mixture of both, right? Because you don't want it to look terrible. <laughs> you don't want them all to be sweaty pictures. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a certain level of reality that we don't want the world to know about. And that's kind of what Instagram was built on is this picture perfect. Like, what do you want people to know about you? Only the good stuff. Um and it's got an attitude of being positive and upbeat. So typically talking about depressive topics and things that, you know, aren't necessarily happy, don't really fit in that medium. And in a way, Instagram has this filter. And um, when you can break through that filter, people notice and that's why they get engaged and they kind of like it because it's not the, the it's not all, all so polished. So I, I always recommend if you're going to use like really good staged photography or staged um, content, that it has a time and place and, you know, on your business channel, it makes sense to use that staged imagery, but on your social channels um, and, and with influencers that, that may be talking about you to let them be more casual and let them have a little bit more freedom rather than having it so perfect. Mm, which leads us into our topic of the day, which is lifestyle photography. So talk to us about that. And I would, I would love to hear maybe three tips for creating pictures you know, that, that followers actually want to click on. <laughs> I can do that. Yeah. So, um, lifestyle photography is, it's kind of a wide topic, but I usually think of it as images that are more first shots. So if we have to like identify subjectively, what is a lifestyle photo? I like to think of it as more candid. Um, 
And so if you take a candid photo with your, with your camera, that means that you're, um, you're not using any filters. So, you know, no filters. My first tip, if you want something that's engaging, try not to polish it at all. Try and make it that first shot, um, to keep it candid. Now, like I said earlier, it's okay to take staged images for the, for a different purpose, but for something you, um, you're maybe sharing on social, try and make it just that first shot. Um, another tip I would say to make sure that it's authentic is, um, you know, get something in there that's moving. <laughs> so like motion implies that you took it at like random. Um, there's actually this trend with kids. I'm actually in my late thirties as well. And, um, I can relate to not necessarily loving the social media side of things, but I have a 17 year old and he is obsessed with, uh, Snapchat and, uh, TikTok. And you know, when he does videos with his friends, he always shows movement. And something I, I really feel that the kids can relate to is that movement equals reality. So if you're moving in the photo and there's a little blur to it, they assume that it's a first shot. You didn't plan it. You didn't try, but he's actually getting really good at faking movement. So, um, I, you know, it's, it's started, <laughs> he like moves his phone really fast while he's taking a picture. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, it looks like I was freaking out, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, people are still even getting good at that, but, uh, you said three tips. So I'm trying to think of one other one here. Um, you know, I would say, uh, you know, the, if you're going to use filters, don't use the standard plugin filters. Um, you make, you know, I would use a, um, you know, a touch up tool is, is fine if it's not so excessive. So like, if you're gonna like, don't whiten your teeth, you know, don't do those, those things that some people really you know, you can clearly tell. Or add freckles that aren't there. That's even a thing, right? Yes. Yeah, adding freckles. Anything that's not who you really are, I would say avoid it. Um, you know, there. it's kind of funny because, you know, people even stage themselves in real life. You, I mean, if you look at a guy taking a photo and a girl taking a photo, the girl always does this like move. I don't even know how to describe it, but they stand a certain way with their chin, certain position. And, um, you know, everybody is doing that. Um, but I would say if you can get away with not doing that, you're better off because people want, want the truth and they don't want that, that, um, perfect profile. Um, like I said earlier, the stretch marks, let them see some of the, the grit, the grainy, see some of the reality, the, the makeup, no makeup look, you know, and the, the, uh, the reality of, of things. Cause we can all relate to that. And, the, and some people might say, well, doesn't this audience want to aspire to be something greater? And, you know, there's a good argument that could be made to say staged images and polished images have value, but in general, social media is really not designed for that. It's designed to be more of a two-way communication, um, to make yourself more connected to people and not necessarily say I'm better or special. And that can be really scary. But if I think about the people that I follow or shows that I watch, two I instantly thought. One was Rachel Hollis. I'm such a huge fan of hers. And her and her soon-to-be ex-husband, up until just a few months ago during COVID, they were married, they would do a morning show every single morning at like 8 a.m. And it was typically right after they worked out. And she's beautiful. And so we're so used to seeing this picture perfect image of her with her hair curled and all of her makeup. But on the morning shows, they would both show up sweaty with no makeup. And people would be like sending her tips for her rosacea, which just totally pissed her off, you know, and she was just showing up so real. And she'd talk about her family. And I, I want that. And I want to be that for my followers. And the other one I thought of when you were talking about show up with no makeup on just, you know, and put that stuff out there. 
I left, I, I love HGTV and I was watching Christina on the coast and in her intro to this new season that they just put out of her, like the third reel in, she has no makeup on. I told my husband, I'm like, she has like a cat face. What is happening? It doesn't even look like her. But when you watch it enough times, you're like, oh yeah, she's real. She's just like me. And she's got two kids as well. And she's a working mom. And all of a sudden you don't feel like it's such a faked out show, right? I mean, of course we know a lot of it's staged, but you feel like you're dealing with a real human. Yeah. Authenticity is becoming a uh, like a buzzword, which is kind of unfortunate because it's it's also staged authenticity now. <laughs> so there's that, like I said about my son. Um, <laughs> if you heard Paris Hilton's coming out with a authentic d- documentary about her life and it's it's really cheesy looking, but, but you know, she's saying things like, this is the behind the scenes. This is who I really am. And he's like, you're doing that because that's the thing now. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's kind of a catch twenty two here. Uh, a lot of people are trying to be authentic, and the word "trying" authenticity is kind of, uh, isn't that kind of backwards? Um, so yeah, don't try too hard. So you know, don't go down that that path where you've changed to a point where it's obvious that you're trying to be authentic. Just let things be more authentic. Um, authenticity is kind of a tricky thing. And, uh, you know, I work with micro influencers every day. We have, uh, you know, that's my, my company is Apex Drop. The, it's an influencer agency, but we are really obsessed with trying to keep things authentic. And that's a battle every day. Um, you know, there's, there's always somebody who wants to get paid to, to talk about things and wants to do things that are like a hobby, but get paid to do it. So that's where you start to cross the line where you might not be genuine because there's money to be made. Um, so on the influencer side, it's a little bit more tricky, but as far as like things you can control yourself, um, you know, I, I think people are pretty, pretty privy to this. Like they know the BS meter I talk about is real. Everybody's got the BS meter, you and everybody who's listening to this. So just use your BS meter. You know, you, you got one. Yeah, put it to use. (laughs) Okay, so you did just give us three tips. I did write them down. And so I'm just going to reiterate them before I move on to our last question. So one is try to take first shot candid photos. Two is try not to use a filter or at least don't use standard filters. So like no fake teeth, no added freckles show up. (laughs) And the third one, motion implies reality. And I love that one because I just did a photo shoot myself about three weeks ago for my own brand. And my photographer is always like, you know, walk towards me, do three circles. And she's like, click, 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 click. Right. So she helps me remember that you have to be in motion when you're taking these pictures as well, or it looks really, really bad. (laughs) It looks super staged. It's like, it's like the old, like, um, you know, when you're graduating and you're taking all those ridiculous, like senior pictures, (laughs) you're like propped up (laughs) on one elbow or whatever. (laughs) It's like a glamour shot. Yeah. I have one of those. I don't want anybody to see it. (laughs) So embarrassing. Okay. So my last question, or what are some different ways to get lifestyle photos for social feeds? Do you encourage people to take their own or maybe, um, maybe we need to be using influencers so that we're getting a huge variety. What do you recommend? I say dabble in everything. You know, if it depends on how big your company is and how much time you have, I feel bad for a lot of the marketers that have so many hats and they choose to become the photographer for their company because that's a big undertaking. So, you know, if you already have a ton on your plate, I would say try not to do it in house. Even though your boss might like the savings, 
it might cost you a fortune in your in your brain, <laughs> like in the amount of time and your stress. So I always I use this quote all the time. I say, uh, "Do what you do best, and trust the experts to do the rest." So you know, take care of the things you're really great at. Now, if you're really good at photography, maybe you should just do photography for the company. Um, if you're really good at marketing, go do marketing for the company. So I, I hate to give advice that says, you know, try everything and then become that person who does it. I say, try everything and then find a way to automate it. So if you, let's say you do it in-house and you have a camera and you find it's really helpful and it's great that way. And you, you know, you go around town taking photos and you find that that's giving you the best quality. Well, find a way to automate that, which means find somebody you can outsource that process to. Um, the same goes with hiring agencies. You know, you might want to dabble and try different um, outsourced agencies for, let's say, uh, lifestyle photography, where they just do photography and that's it. Um, dabble in it and see if it makes sense to to outsource it. You know, don't commit to anything until you see some kind of good positive outcome. Um, sending products to influencers is also a really cool way to get lifestyle photos. Some brands um, have kind of abused that. So influencers are kind of, uh, what's the word? They're just kind of meh on this whole, let's get a free product thing. Um, so if you reach out to an influencer and say, hey, I'd like to send you something in exchange for a photo, they think that means you want me to post, you might want me to talk about it even before you know, I know if I like it or not. And that is inauthentic. And a lot of influencers are pushing against brands that are kind of, implying that they want the post as well and they want the photography and they want everything and so um, you can dabble in that but just be aware there's a lot of problems with it and you're probably going to get influencers that say i'm going to need paid uh, free products not enough and um, you know the other option would be to hire an influencer agency like uh, like mine obviously i'm a bit biased um, because i work i own one but um, my system is getting thousands of influencers or several hundred influencers that take photos for you and post about them and we find that that's a really good way to get the reach and awareness as well as the cool content so you get the best of both you get you know great content you get reach and you can outsource it so it's not a huge headache for you and your inbox doesn't become overloaded with all these relationships that you have to manage Mm, I love that. So I'm always curious, you know, when using an agency like yours, how, what's the frequency level that is best scenario there, right? Um, I've used Apex Drop many times for my other clients and I love to tell them like, go do a campaign every quarter. I don't know if that's too much or if that's not enough, but it feels like having that content come back because I do love that the content that you guys create, the brands get to own and they get to resyndicate it and use it on different channels as well. Um, I think it's important to have diversity in your content. So to your point, it's not the one, you know, 20 year old in your office that happens to kind of know technology and can operate a camera. It's a bunch of different people. And then you also get their reach. So can you talk a little bit more about frequency and maybe how often if somebody does want to use someone like Apex Drop or an influencer group, how often should that happen throughout the year? Frequency is really important. So uh, one of my clients in the past had said, I really want to be able to get a post for every single day of the year. And that stuck with me. And so we actually built our system around that theory of we call it constant content. You want constant content to be dripping in and creating opportunities and creating you know, things you can reuse and regram and, and repurpose. So all of our campaigns are based around this theory of at least one post for every day of the year. So um, some companies like two posts for every day of the year, some companies like three, but our smallest package right now is it's called the year of influence and it gives you at least one post for every single day of the year. And so, you know, that's my theory. 
on constant content and micro influencers typically don't have the reach that a celebrity does. So it also helps with just consistently working with micro influencers at that rate. Um, we find that the volume can't be managed in house. Um, that kind of volume is really difficult to manage. So most people that are kind of okay at working trade collaborations in house can do maybe a dozen in a month. And that's with your inbox being overloaded. That's with, you know, the stress of having to get the product out and, you know, half the time you have to beg them to do things with it. Um, but you know, with our system, you literally just pay us and we do it all. So we will work with hundreds or thousands of influencers, makes it super easy. And then you can kind of get back to what you do best, which is telling the story of your company and repurposing that content in the way you feel is appropriate. So I always say, instead of marketers are kind of sourcing content right now and becoming the source when they really should be the distributors. And so, you know, you want to move away from trying to create all the content yourself, working all the influencers yourself and try and get that out of your, your duties and then move on to distribution, which is take the stuff that exists and then go out there and tell your story with it. Um, so if you, if that makes sense, that's what I would do is find a way to source as much as you can, um, outside of your company. Okay. That feels like you just dropped something really big and heavy on us at the end of this podcast. So what do you mean by that? Um, I think, and I, I'm like thinking about my own brand. I don't have anyone making content for me. I'm doing it all in house and all of my clients are doing the same thing. So what do you mean by having other people create and source content and then you basically just like resyndicate it or distribute it. Yeah. So the, the theory is that, and what I've proven out hundreds and hundreds of times is that if a brand does all their content sourcing in house, they tend to not have the time to invest in the storytelling and the distribution of that content. So, um, what, what that means is find a way to earn the content at a rate that is acceptable or pay someone to earn it for you. So apex drop is designed to earn that content for a brand. Um, we are kind of what I would call like the meta influencer. We influence influencers. We don't tell them what to do. We give them opportunities and we help them and inspire them to take products that you guys shoot, shoot over to the influencers. And we want them to take images, images and share them online, of course, but they don't have to. And so there's this kind of a relationship we have where influencers come to us for education and for help and for connections. They don't come to us to get paid. And so there's no weirdness of working with these influencers. There's no like awkward DMs where you try and work it out and, Hey, did you get the product? Hey, I didn't see your post yet. And all those weird things that happen. So take, you just take all that away <laughs> and uh, let us do it because we aren't really here to pay influencers. Our existence is to help educate those influencers and connect them. So they come to us for a completely different reason. And that's why I call us the meta influencer. Um, other meta influencers that exist are education focused or not paying influencer focused. If they focus on paying the influencer, it becomes a really biased, weird commission based system that, you know, most of the time leads to people selling out and leads to really inauthentic posts, really authentic, inauthentic comments, um, just kind of sell out, you know? So, um, yeah, I may have opened the, the can here and like talk about it, but <laughs> well, there's, now I'm super there's a curious. lot more to it. Yeah. Do you have like one or two brands that you can think of just off the cuff that are doing this year of influence type thing um, where they're they're doing this? Like they're not creating all of their stuff in house. They're more distributing what other people are making. Do you have any that you're allowed to talk about? So maybe we can go <laughs> check them out on Instagram and get some ideas yeah. of 
maybe what that could look like for our companies. Yeah. I don't, a lot of our brands are not afraid to talk about influencers and that's, that makes me proud, especially when they use our system only like as an exclusive system. Um, because some brands think it's like, you want to keep that a secret. Well, if you work with micro influencers like ours, um, it's, it doesn't need to be a secret cause there's no payment to the influencer and they're not telling influencers what to do. Um, one brand that comes to mind is the, uh, is a detergent company of all things, um, called drops. And, um, they recently entered the top 500 fastest growing companies list, um, the Forbes list. And so there's, um, they've been with us for a few years and they've worked with literally thousands of our micro influencers. And their team is extremely smart in that they know that the content that you earn is going to perform much better than the content you create yourself as a brand. So they believe in the customer created content in UGC, the power of it. And you can see it all over their website. You can see it all over their social media. And they've blew into this category that's so impossible to break into. Like think of Tide and like the companies that they're, they're battling. That's insane. So they've pulled all of their product off of the Walmart shelves and done all e-com and they're succeeding in that and they're winning in this battle right now. So, um, I'm sure they're getting the attention of the tides and the proctors and gambles. And we've worked with those big companies too, but, um, they're just amazing because they're such a, they were small and now they're getting so big, so fast. And if you ask the, the team of marketers there, they'll tell you influencers had a major part of their distribution method. They chose not to do it all in house. They decided to let go of that and let earned media became a thing that other agencies do for them. And also the president's just a really cool dude. So, you know, he, they're, they're just really cool, very cool people, really great company. Um, another company I really like is, uh, uh, packed apparel. It's like a, a, a conscious, another one of those like companies that's really concerned about being healthy and doing things the right way and sourcing things properly. Um, and, they kind of joined that fast fashion type space of forever 21 years ago, and they're doing very well with influencers. And the one thing that PAC did that really sets them apart is that they, their team recognized the value of the grainy, the value of the fuzzy, the value of the low quality, quote unquote, low quality images um, that influencers provide. And they've started to use those and distribute those on their website. So when I talk about distribution, they were the masters of distribution. They let go of the influencer sourcing and they focused on the distribution of content. So they went on their website and they started reposting a lot of the images into their product pages. They put them on their Amazon, on their website, you know, everywhere they could possibly put these images. And some of these pictures are, I gotta be honest, they're terrible. Um, they look terrible and you would never in a million years put them on your website, but because they've understood the power of social. And they've implemented it into their site in a way that's received as very, it's supposed to be authentic. It's supposed to be real. It's really done wonders for their brand and they're making a lot of money. So, you know, they're doing extremely well with that. I can't share figures, but they've, they've increased their conversion rates significantly. So when I say like marketers should focus on what matters is distribution, but they should also be focusing on conversion rates. So uh, taking your images, let's just say you have, you, you know, your trifecta, you have your, you have your product shots, you have your model shots, and you have your lifestyle photo shots. Now you have all three. Now you can go to town and do all sorts of amazing things, but don't go to town until you have all three. So, you know, if you're missing, if some of your products are missing lifestyle photos, you're missing out on the money that could be made because it's been proven over and over and over using our system that the product pages that have lifestyle photos incorporated converted a much higher rate in some cases, three X. So, you know, there's, 
strong, strong reason <laughs> to use lifestyle photos. And I feel like you're preaching to the choir. I'm constantly telling my clients, I'm like, you have to have lifestyle. In fact, all I care about is one main product image and maybe one with a model, if that makes sense. But all of the rest of them need to be lifestyle. Because yeah. I think especially as we're talking about online, people shop with their eyes. You have to basically put them into the situation to show them all the different ways to use your product. And if you can't do that, they're not going to understand your product. Like again, back to my hat situation earlier, I was telling you about, I've been searching <laughs> for fall hats. And in my mind, it's like a beautiful burnt orange and like a beautiful burgundy, maybe like a pretty green that I can also match with my boots. And I'm looking all over Amazon. I'm searching like fall fedoras, <laughs> fall hats. You would not believe, Zach, how many products came up that only had the hat. There wasn't even a model in the hat, let alone lifestyle in the hat. But there I am on social media, on Facebook of all places, scrolling, and there's the beautiful lifestyle picture with the gal wearing the hat that I wanted, wearing the cardigan that I wanted, wearing the scarf that I couldn't wait to put and wrap around my neck. And she showed me 15 different ways to wear it. And I was like, dang it, I'm in. Like, I need three of these. Right. Yeah. There's uh, there's something to be said about uh, social proof, um, seeing it on somebody else who looks more real. And then also there's some, un there's some buried value in there too, as far as sizing goes, you know, you might see it on someone who looks, uh, you know, more realistic sizing, not just the model type. And the sizing is a big deal um, on product shots. So if you, it, it solves a couple things, it gets you social proof. It gives more credibility to your brand and it solves a lot of the sizing questions that people have just naturally and they're able to visualize those products in their world instead of just on the screen and that's the key so yeah you're you hit the nail on the head and I love what you just said like it makes my heart feel so warm and I've noticed lately that Athleta and Lululemon have both done an amazing job of not just showing skinny size zero models in every single one of the pictures I've been looking at like if I'm looking for a new pair of workout pants or a new top like I just bought an Athleta top the other day um, again, off of social media, um, <laughs> they're showing the size zero models. They're in there still, but then they're showing like a size 16 or a size 20. And I'm a little heavier. And so I'm like, okay, that's how it's realistically going to look on me. You know, like I know I'm going to have enough coverage that they can't see every blemish on my body. And I love the authenticity of that. Yeah. And working with micro influencers, kind of opens the brand's eyes up to this just a little bit. But I mean, look at, there's lots of proof in how brands are kind of blind to how important authenticity is by what you just said. They've been serving this like perfect model wearing clothing for so long that they have forgotten that people don't relate to that and that uh, that's not realistic for everyone. So the, the ideas of a brand are that things need to be quote unquote perfect for it to work when in reality it needs to be real for it to work. And so if you can let let go of the quality issue, which is, you know, hey, that's not on brand. If, if, you, if your first thought about an image online is that's not on brand, you have issues. So like when you're on, when you're on amazon.com and you're reading a review and someone takes a picture of that, that product just sitting on a table, aren't you kind of thankful that you get to see what it really looks like? Um, you know, so that picture, do you think that the brand saw that and goes, that's not on brand. You know, they gave us a four out of five and they told us all the pros and cons and look at this terrible photo. They don't judge that image. They just say that's a social testimonial and that's a really earned piece of content. 
And if you can try and change the way you think of influencer content over to think of it more like a testimonial, you would never get mad if someone told the truth about a product, um, unless of course they're blasting you and it's not fair. But, um, you know, and, and it lets, I, I always say like, you want a four out of five stars. You don't want a five out of five. You want the four out of five stars that says, here's the pros and cons. And the nice thing about social photography and lifestyle photography is sometimes it actually exposes some of the flaws just naturally. And that's a good thing because then the reality of that is, yes, there's flaws, but it's worth it. And that's what you want from your lifestyle photos is somebody showing something off to a point where it exposes maybe some of its flaws or what's not perfect about it, but also says, I'm wearing it, therefore it's worth it. Um, yeah, worth the problems. So four out of five stars, not five out of five. And that does relate to lifestyle photography somehow. <laughs> I just like, I try to push it in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all relative and it all makes sense in my opinion because we live in this omni-channel world where it does all matter, right? Um, and, and going more and more online for sure. Zach, this was everything I hoped it would be and more. What a fabulous conversation. I feel so excited now. I'm going to like... I'm going to do a better job taking more authentic pictures. I'm going to be careful with the kind of filters that I use. Um, and I'm going to try to appear more myself. And I hope that our listeners had some amazing value coming out of this. Um, and I want to make sure as well, Zach, that in the notes, um, when we wrap this up, I'd love to get some links from you that I will make sure and add to our show notes. One Apex drop link for sure. So you guys can check that out. It's a hugely robust site. Lots of cool information. Um, two, let's go ahead also and link those two brands that you mentioned so that we can start to do a little bit of research on our own sides as brands to understand what we should be doing. Uh, for drops detergent and then for packed apparel. And then I'll also take some really great notes and put them below so that you guys have some kind of guardrail, especially those three talking points that Zach gave us earlier on the three best ways to take lifestyle photographs. So nice. thanks for being <laughs> thanks on for today. Oh, this was fantastic. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you later, Zach. <laughs>